welcome to Slacker Moto Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles and the motorcycle community, and we're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. Welcome back, Slackers. Brad, how you doing? I am doing great, actually. It is a beautiful day outside. Um, planning on making a little trip to Eastern Oregon, maybe picking up a bike, waiting back for a response. But that could be happening, so I'm super pumped. Also picking up a new uh, riding jacket uh, this afternoon on my way home, and parts are arriving for the KLR, some new valves uh, this evening, so... Kind of everything's kind of happening at once. Uh, still a lot of work to be done, but uh, pretty stoked. Can't complain. Uh, how about yourself, Addison? Yeah, man, you're on the up and up here. Look at you. New bike, new jacket, new parts. I mean, there's nothing holding you back. Uh, Insert song here. Yeah, I guess not. But uh, what about you? What do you got going on this weekend? Huh? Anything fun? What have you been up to? Oh, I don't really have anything going on no nothing happened at all no it's been a it's been a good week man this good weather you're talking about we've had for more often than not in the last couple weeks so that's kind of nice having an opportunity at lunches to to go just for a spin around the area or get a little you know a couple of miles on each bike so i've had to had that chance had the opportunity to to ride a bit the garage needs a bit of uh, reorganization i picked up some some tools and things that were just kind of thrown in as an evening pickup into the front of the garage. So I've got to got to organize things to be able to get to bikes and parts and work on work on things better. So this weekend, that's probably a big, big part of what I'll do is uh, reorganize everything, get rid of what I don't need. Uh, we're talking about doing a, a, a garage sale type thing. So kind of get things ready for that, get some of the stuff out that I don't need that's taking up space. And uh, yeah. Be ready to move forward with other projects. I hear you on the cleaning up, uh, you know, our workspaces or garage and such. We just did that, filled up an entire uh, SUV. I would not filled to the brim, obviously, but filled up a, a good amount of the vehicle with stuff we're just donating. I mean, we could yard sell and probably make make some make some money, and we probably got more that we would throw into it if we did that. But man, there's something to be said about just dropping it off and maybe throwing it on your taxes as a reduction of some sort. So. Um, yeah, yeah, I got it. So I got a load of stuff in the back of the Jeep pickup and a load of stuff in the exterior that needs to be taken somewhere. You want it? I would say, sounds like you got to drop it off in my driveway and we'll, uh, we'll pawn it off for you. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's usually the end result, right? We'll put a bunch of stuff up for, for a garage sale and what doesn't sell just goes into the truck and gets dumped at the, the local donation center. Yeah, we're pretty picky. We we if it's garbage, we we get rid of it. And if it's something that somebody could use, then then uh, at, at least uh, donate it. Uh, but <clears throat> you know, I say that, and then you drop it off at somewhere like at least Goodwill, and it's like they they make a pretty good chunk of money on all that. But it, but that's beside the point. Yeah, we try to use other. So, I mean, not to throw shade on Goodwill, but we don't often use Goodwill. We'll go through. Desert Industries or even Salvation Army and things like that from time to time that are a little more service oriented um, beyond just giving jobs to people, but in other aspects of what they do, right? Food and, and sustenance and support to 
to those that need it. So yeah, mm. we try to go to the more yeah the the actual nonprofit side of those, just because. I agree with you. If I'm going to donate something, uh, the other thing we've used a lot of is actually some of the the swap groups or giveaway groups on on Facebook. Um, we found the community give groups to be be really good. Uh, I've gotten a couple of really cool things from it. I've given away a lot of things on it, and and it's nice to you know to know who is going to that they're looking forward or they need it and they have a a real use for it rather than just kind of dumping it in a in a bin at a local donation center. Right. Right. No, that's good. So I, I know that you picked up a few more things. Did you ever look into that backer board that I showed that I was talking to you about for protecting an area that you're going to have uh, a grinder next to? So like your drywall and such? Yeah, I didn't look at that yet. Um, I'm definitely going to do something. I can't. My my understanding of the heat created in that situation won't allow me to uh, to just throw it against the wall and, and use it. So I'll have to do something to that to that effect. And uh, shutting the door on that topic. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, uh, yeah, that that involves more than just cleaning out some of the new stuff I've gotten. I, I'm kind of looking at the garage space and, and now just based on how I have everything in my need to keep things clean, right? If I'm working on an open engine case, I refuse to grind anywhere near it or drill anywhere near it or, or have that, that contamination in the area. Um, and so you know, realistically, I should have a wall where I've got kind of that stuff lined up that I can vacuum out and keep things keep things arranged and tidy instead I've got storage lined up in a way that works better for a garage, not as good for for manufacturing and production type stuff. So I've just re- I need to reorganize everything so that it's uh, more usable on the fly without having to have a moment and move things to where it can be used or take it you know take it to a good spot. I'm moving things around more than I should be should just be in the right place to begin with. Oh, it sounds like you just need a bigger place. Well, that's that's always the right answer. <laughs> Unfortunately, not often the most economic answer. Yeah, especially right um, now, man. That's yeah. crazy. The housing market everywhere is just insane. Used bike market. I mean, I, let's get into that. Man, yeah. What is happening with... So we're looking for a used car, and you got about a day to pull the trigger from when it gets dropped off. Because if it's a car that's worth owning, within a day, someone else has bought it. Wow. Um, and bikes are no better. I mean, a good bike in the used market at a fair price doesn't sit long, man. You go to the, I've been to a couple of dealers in the last few weeks, and they just don't have much for used bikes. Three, four in the back. You know, and they're the kinds that they're a dime a dozen and, and fairly cheap new. So people are, right, it's that questionability of do I want to, you know, a thousand dollars off what I can basically get new with 10,000 miles less. Right. right? Well, and that's not helping that, uh, that disparity between the two prices either. When, uh, there's only so many of them to be had, there's only so many new ones. So if I don't have it on the floor, I've got it in the back used. I can charge what I want. Right. I'll make you feel a little bit better. I'll take a little bit off of what a new one would cost you, you know, but (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's pretty insane. And I think I don't think that's going to go away for the next couple months, potentially this entire year. Uh, and I think some of that could be contributed to I know that we just passed um, some legislation that's going to mean some money and not everybody's pockets. But a good amount of people are going to have a little bit of extra money potentially that they would use on a used bike. And so I think that's going to drive up the cost and the demand is going to be high for the used market. And, and I don't think I'm the only one that's involved. I mean, we, 
offline, you and I have talked about this briefly, but I know Harley is investing a lot into certified pre-owned all of a sudden to get young new riders in. And, and I don't even know how you can do that when we don't have the volume of used bikes, but they've got something up their sleeve. A lot of people are looking at it as the, the wave that they want to get on uh, because there's good money to be made, right? They get to set it. They're not being told. I mean, Harley having their own inventory of used bikes get to set those prices. But me, or if I had a used bike dealership, I no longer have an OEM telling me what I can sell a bike for. I can sell for whatever I want and I can let the demand drive that. And all of what I make is revenue towards me over what I purchased it for, right? Aside from how long I store it. Right now, they're not having to sit on them for very long. So, uh, yeah, if you're in the market for a bike right now, I'm sorry for you. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still there to be had, but you gotta you got to be ready. So that's, I mean, that's always the game with getting a good deal anyway, right? You got you to know what you want and be ready to jump when it comes. But, you know, it used to be if you weren't quite sure, you could still get by. And, and those days, at least right now in our current affairs, you know, you've got to be ready for that good deal or just any deal. If you're not ready to buy that bike that day, you know, you very well might lose it. The, the old scare tactic that if you walk away, someone else will pick it up. It, it's fairly true nowadays. <laughs> you know, that that's happening. But it, it's interesting to note, you know, you're talking about the Harley's new uh, certified pre-owned options and, and their their new plan for that and i've seen that at other dealerships from more of a dealership perspective i've seen triumph dealers do that i've seen uh, i don't know that i've really seen it in the japanese market but i've seen some of the higher end bikes right your bmw dealers will do that um but i don't think it's ever really been a you know driven by the manufacturer driven by bmw or triumph has been that dealer decides to go through and do a better check such that they're willing to you know give you a better warranty period or whatever comes with that right willing to put their stamp on it much more than your average used bike um but yeah harley's making this a whole corporate policy and i don't think it's bad i've had conversations with harley dealers even in the last couple days that you know they talk about the fact that if you buy the newest version of harley you know to get it to the level they've got uh, souped up bikes they've got harleys with with uh you know better cams and and i guess better is questionable more powerful cams and more powerful components that, you know, they're getting a much more horsepower and torque out of their bike, but you got to put invest the same amount of money into a new one to make it match what they've already got. I think that's kind of been a problem with Harley is it's been a similar bike for so long that, you know, you don't get a ton for buying a five year newer bike. Right. Right. So, you know, without them diving into their own used bike world, I, I, it's no, you know, even in these articles, or in Harley's own descriptions of this, they talk about it. It's not a secret that, you know, their own used bike market is one of the things that holds them back from selling new bikes. So kind of taking some of that control back. I don't know that it's a bad move. It's definitely a different move, but I don't know that it's bad. Well, you know, the question that I have is, is I understand that it is a move. We can call it a move. But really, they've just come up with this policy that we're going to call anything that we sell. And obviously, they'll probably have some rigorous checklist of things that they're going to do to call it certified pre-owned. But are they actually doing anything different? Or did they decide that they need to instill reliability through some sort of um, buzzword like CPO where people are looking for that in the car market and such. I mean, I, I just don't know how much of it's really changing and or how they're going to um, um, play this out because, I mean, right now, 
you know, not looking at the inventory that it is right now, you know, a few years ago, we used to go into to dealership and you'd go upstairs and they'd have like 40 bikes up there and not all of them were ready and not all of them were going to be sold immediately. And they were going to go through some process to, to hit the floor. Not all of them were Harleys even. So, I mean, I just don't understand how this is any different than what they've done in the past. Yeah. And it really depends on how they handle it based on what I've read and what I've seen. It would seem that there's going to be, you know, a more stringent check or a more specific review of the used bikes as they come in. They're going to be in a certain class of bike, right? Lower than X number of miles and newer than X year. Um, you know, there it's going to be something like that where, where there is definitely some criteria that meets it because you can't just throw, you know, a junker. I mean, I guess you can. Nobody's really stopping you from certifying a, a pre-owned junker. But, you know, that's not the intention. To your point, they're looking to instill confidence and reliability on a used vehicle that that can be you know comparable to the new vehicle right if you don't if you can't afford a thirty thousand dollar bike here's a twenty thousand dollar alternative yeah and i think that but i think that what it's going to do is it's going there i think that what they're trying to do is increase the amount that they can charge on a used bike. I think to some extent that's the case. Now, what that's going to do is they already know that for a lot of the models on Harleys that they hold their value fairly well, if not really well. Uh, And then other ones don't do as much. But, you know, there's already a a pretty big cost difference between those model variations, regardless like a Sportster versus um, one of their premium cruisers. So um, the question is, is it going to be something that actually hurts me or you if we were trying to sell our bike? Is it that we can already sell it for a pretty good amount? And, you know, I can even with fairly high miles or relatively low miles, I mean, you can resale some of those bikes um, at, at a good lick. So is the intent that they're going to just claim all of these extra things to try to pull me to want to take my bike in to have it consigned through them? Or how does that affect me trying to sell something of my own private party? I think in the Harley world, I think that's the attempt, right? They're going to be the company or the group that makes a little profit off of each used bike as well as their new bikes, right? To help help dealership profitability. Um, so I, you're not wrong there, but I don't know that it's going to have a huge effect on on what right you and I would sell. If we had a Harley that we were looking to sell, then, you know, we may be able to get a bit more from the uh the dealership if we know it's fits within the criteria for certified pre-owned. But if uh you know, if it's not within that criteria, I don't know that it's going to make too much of a difference. So I don't think it's going to change much more than people that trade their bikes in as it is. I think it's going to be a pretty consistent flow. I think it's re- merely an attempt for Harley to get more people to bring a bike to them than to sell private party. Sure. Yeah. Time will tell how that really rolls out. Yeah. I, I'm, I, it's interesting that they're doing that. Uh, and we'll just have to see. I mean, they've got a large, a vast amount of used bikes, right? I mean, Harley's been around for a long time. They've produced a lot of motorcycles. There's no reason why they shouldn't be trying to sell them. I, I just, I know that they already do. And so how are they going to market this? I feel like it's more of a marketing thing more than anything else. You know, if nothing else, if I take a step back from this conversation, what I can say is Harley's doing a pretty good job of keeping themselves in the news. I think we've had three weeks in a row of something new or different Harley has released or spoken of. 
So, you know, they're keeping themselves relevant. They're trying to make sure that they're the dealership or the manufacturer that we're talking about or that people are talking about. I think the, you know, the Pan America created quite a buzz. Uh, we didn't really talk about it, but the maintenance factor of the Pan America is incredible. Uh, hydraulic valves and, and different things that, that really are not unheard of on a bike, but for a Harley are pretty unheard of, um, especially. And so, you know, they're doing these things that they continue to get them in the news, right? Continue to, to come up at the top. If you've got motorcycle news articles popping up in your feed, you know, Harley's going to be there. And so, you know, if nothing else, it's creating that buzz. It's creating that that understanding that they're still here. They're still fighting and they're still putting out bikes. So, you know, I don't know if there's too much to read in till we really see it. I'm also, you know, I I question as someone who... I feel is very proficient in reviewing a used bike, bringing the right tools to actually check everything that needs to be checked to ensure that you are making a right, a good decision that I don't really care whether it's certified or whether I go through and quote unquote certify it myself. Um, yeah, there's lots of things that they'll probably check potentially that you wouldn't do on a normal, even uh, for an afternoon ride type of an evaluation just depends. On a used vehicle like that, though, um, I mean, there's, I've got myself a list. I mean, there's, there's stuff coming on this in the future, by the way, so I won't get too deep into it uh, for our podcast. But, you know, I've got a list of 170 different things that I'll check and review as I go look at a bike. So it's not, you know, I may not pull the heads off and, and check the valves. That may be about the extent, unless there's, you know, some bikes have a valve check window you can actually go in and do that very quickly and very easily so it's uh you know it really depends on what you can do simply without really taking everything apart because you don't want to go to a used bike and disassemble the fenders and the tank and right that that's that's excessive and often not considered good practice unless you know it's a project bike to begin with yeah yeah, i think the last thing that i want anybody doing when they come and looking at my bike is uh taking the the heads off and the you know any of the parts if you can't tell what you're looking at right now then you're done yeah but you know at the same point there's things you can quickly check you can look at spark plugs you can look at right most of those are very accessible and you i don't think that there's any harm in reviewing all of those items compression checks these are things that you can do when you go look at a bike if you have the right tools or if you hire someone to go and do that, right? Yeah, I would just uh, let this let the seller know in advance what you plan on doing because you may get there and find out that they're not comfortable with somebody that they don't know touching a bike that they're still trying to sell for top dollar. Uh, I think that you'd be very surprised um, how many people would actually let you do that. But I understand and I think that it's absolutely something that you should have a conversation with them about. And if you're not going to be able to do it, I mean, you you need to decide whether or not it's uh, that important to you. Let me just say, keep an eye on the slackermoto.com site, and there'll be more about this. Oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. I know. Now people are going to be checking daily and irritated when it takes a few weeks. But check daily. Ryan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's that. Um, speaking of Ryan, we got a little blowback on that. Ooh. Ryan, we love that you're going to get a Japanese or a Chinese bike. We hope that you do. I want to call it out here. I think that following Ryan on a Chinese adventure bike, uh, I mean, I can't call it an adventure twice, but his journey through life with an adventure bike is going to be awesome. And I know Brad has his apprehension about these Chinese bikes, but I would love to have a bi-weekly session or whatever we need to do to have just a quick snippet of what he's done, where he's at, 
what abuse he's done, how much money he's spent to add to it, uh, you know, any problems, any issues, or lack thereof, uh, as we kind of document his adventure. So, Ryan, hit us up when you get that bike. Yeah, that's uh, that's, uh, that's that. what I'm excited for is to just be able to have the conversation. I will agree with only that aspect. I, I think it's awesome. I am not going to get one, but I really hope he does. Don't do it. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, and both in a very positive way. I hope he does, and I hope it works out perfect. And yeah. he abuses the crap out of it, and it runs you know as much as he wants it to, and it's amazing. Why not? Teach us all a lesson, man. Speaking of that lesson, got an awesome uh, message this week from Ben. Shout out to Ben. Hey, Ben. Uh, we talked about CSC. Uh, I mean, we talked about CSC more, but more than just this once. But a couple weeks back, we talked about the, uh, I think it's a City Slicker, something to that effect, their little electric bike. Um, and Ben's running a, an SG250, so a, a 250cc CSC uh, bike, just a, a simple bike. But uh, basically, from what I understand from uh, from his message, he, he says uh, you know, he specifically bought the bike for the engine size, price, maintenance intervals, and supposedly simple, straightforward service. So uh, we are planning to see if we can get Ben to uh, to join us for a bit on uh, on a future episode and, and hear his experience with CSC. Because two years ago, I made the prediction that, that Chinese bikes, we're going to see a lot more of them. I appreciate that Ben sh- reached out to us to tell us he's got one and that uh, he's been riding it no problems doing well but i'd love to hear more about that experience so well he's the only person that i've heard of buying that bike specifically maybe he's the only one i don't know but uh no, no i know that's on. not true i know that's not true I, and i still you know we, we've had a lot of you know maybe not the nicest things to say about chinese bikes in general and i think that they do have their place it's just making sure that one understands what you're buying and what the differences are and i think that they have come a long ways as far as reliability and function even in the last, uh, let's say, 15 years, because I remember people buying bikes you know, when I was getting out of high school and, you know, you know uh, 2006, 2007, and just uh, thrashing them the first time they go out. So, I mean, they're, they're not at that point anymore, at least I hope. But uh, Ben, join us. We're uh, looking forward to that. Well, there's something to be said about a, a 250cc gas, you know, ICE engine, a gas engine that the technology you know isn't new, unique, or difficult for anyone to produce. And so really the ability to, to use that from a day-to-day basis and do everything that you need to do with it really isn't going to be something that that has high expectations, right? I think that that would be easier to maintain, easier to get parts for, more more reliable in general than a new technology like a lithium-ion, or I don't think they're lithium-ion, but an electric bike from a, an industry that's never played in that game, right? That that's new and unique to that to really the whole motorcycle world yeah. for the most part. I think there's a lot more risk in that with those city slickers than the SG250 or you know they were coming out with all kinds of new stuff in the Chinese bike market up to the 600s and, and things like that. So uh, you know I, I think there's yeah I'm curious to see what the real life experience is, how it rides, uh, what the feel is, and and uh, any right any maintenance or service that's been done. How hard was it? How hard was it to get parts? Right. We'll get some of that information. Yeah, what, what kind of bikes he's ridden in the past? Did he try anything else? How did it compare to anything that he tried? Yep, yep, definitely. So we'll, uh, we'll hopefully have a lot more on that, but we'll set up a time to, to get that. Um, I guess we could always pretend if he doesn't join us that he's on the call and just answer questions, right? I mean, that's, yep. that's acceptable. That's fair. Okay. I think we've got some voice changer boxes, or uh, that's probably not even what they're called. I'm real good at this uh, understanding how to record stuff thing. 
but is that what we're <laughs> nonetheless, doing? Uh, we're recording. Yes, this is live. Whoa! Say hi. Say hi to your mom. Hi, your mom. All right, well, that's fair. She might listen, so you're probably better off with that one. Okay. Um, we, uh, yeah. The other point, I guess we we've kind of skipped past it, but in Harley's attempt to regain some market share. Uh, it looks like Indian's been making some changes. And that's kind of what I want to talk about for the meat of this episode. Is uh, There's a new FTR. Is it new? I mean, it's definitely changed. I mean, why don't you elaborate on why you're saying it's new? Well, historically, the FTR has had a handful of, let's call them complaints or quirks or things that people were less than excited about. Um, a couple things I learned, actually, in reading about the updates uh, apparently, cold start, they're not good. I didn't know that. But apparently, it did not want to start in a cold temperature if you pulled it out of, right, you left it in the driveway on a on a freezing morning. That bike apparently struggles to start. I never heard that. Didn't know that. And I hope hope that those aren't lies from the people that have been talking about it, including Indian's updates to its own bike. I doubt it is if Indian admits to it. But, um, you know, they resolved some cold start issues, which which is a very interesting adjustment. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's always had, it's a new bike, right? It's a new type of twin in the U.S. market or really world market to have a, a V-twin like that of that size in that feature set, um, you know, on a naked sport bike like that. So, you know, there was some some throttle control issues, which everybody's kind of got those quirks, right? Yamaha's renowned in their 900 triples to have weird throttle control issues. So, you know, that's a not abnormal, but throttle control um trying to remember what else but uh, a handful of little quirks so one that of the things that they were, were looking at was being able to cool it better so change some aerodynamics around that some rear cylinder deactivation um you, you know i would still call them a model year update i think that they're refining it and trying to place it into a certain market it definitely at least in the, the article that i was reading about it it was referencing it as a, you know a, a naked street bike and and so i mean it, that I know that another thing that they changed was lowering the seat height. I mean, it's definitely going away from the previous comment that I made uh, about, is it something that is a competitor for um, Harley Davidson and their new um, dual sport that they, or adventure bike that they have going out. So yeah, uh, it sounds like when you start doing these kind of changes, it's definitely gearing towards a different target market. Uh, not that I don't think that there could be some variations easily implemented to bring it into the same market as the Pan America, but time will have to tell in that regard. Um, I So, I mean, do you think that these are the kind of things that you would want to see? I mean, understandably, being able to have more refined controllability of the throttle, that's important. That's critical. That's learning how people actually ride it, not just your engineers, not your designers, not the, you know, the, the guy that races bikes all the time, but the people that are just riding the motorcycle. So I, I could see those kind of changes coming out. But I don't know what I think about some of the other changes so far. I mean, what are your perceptions on that? How does that change what you think of when you think of the FTR? Beyond that, I you can read what's changed you can read the updates and specifically what india did from indian from any of these articles really everything that's talking about the 2022 uh ftr is going to have all this information um 
and so we're not really bringing up anything new or or unique here at this point. But what I want to get into is is I I don't think it matters, man. Like some of it does, obviously reliability, cooling, some of this stuff I think is really important, and I'm glad that they're iterating and moving forward as you have to, especially when it was so such a new bike to the market. Um, you got to do things to bring it up and 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 make better on what was originally released. Uh, you know, it's only been a couple of years, so it's time for that update. It's time for that change. Um, but really what, what I noticed in a number of reviews and not just the initial one that we were talking about, you know, just amongst ourselves before is a lot of people talk about the fact that it's become just a generic street bike at this point that, that it's lost. I shouldn't even say that that's, that's, that's putting my own interpretation on it without having ridden it. People specifically say that it's lost some of its soul. And that's something that I've heard in multiple states, you know, of, of these articles, multiple people have mentioned it. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me that, that, you know, when you're talking an American V twin, I think soul is a big part of it. So that's a, that's a big, you know, change. I think that makes a difference on the bike, uh, for your average buyer. I think when they get on the bike and want to feel what it feels like to ride it, that some of that is just the coolness of, you know, the heart and soul of that bike. But beyond that, I've heard that mentioned in many other bikes. You know, I've been bike shopping and I've I've ridden a number of bikes. I've had a handful of bikes. And there's definitely a difference from bike A to bike B, you know, name A or B, whichever bike you like or don't like or whatever. There's a difference in a bike's soul. But what does that mean? Like, right? They changed throttle response. They changed cooling. They changed seat height. How does that affect the soul of the bike? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, definitely subjective, right? Obviously. Uh, But what I will say is the way that I look at a model year update, and if I'm going to say that it affects its soul, regardless of what that means, how does the model year change? um, How do I perceive it? How would I talk to somebody about it? When I say that, hey, I got the new FTR, it now has... Rear cylinder deactivation. Wait, I mean, that, I mean, that's uh, sure. You know, I'm not going to brag about that, right? It might be something that's valuable, like you're talking about maybe fuel mileage. Be like, yeah, yeah. One of the things that they implemented on this is, uh, you know, rear cylinder deactivation, so I get a little bit of fuel mileage. But it's not something that I maybe immediately go out and talk about because that's usually not the conversation point. Uh, fuel mileage being uh, the topic between one motorcycle rider and another. We already uh, have this understanding that uh, we're already getting better fuel mileage than the majority of the vehicles on the road, right? So, I mean, definitely an advancement, but maybe not a cool factor. So, so does that affect its soul? Uh, maybe potentially, right? I mean, what am I going for when I'm talking about getting on my FTR? Am I going for, man, I got this new FTR 1200 for fuel mileage. Yeah, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. And then the other thing would be, okay, so am I going to go out and be like, hey, Addison, got the new FTR 1200. It is one inch shorter saddle height. Can you imagine that? That's amazing. Now, that may be different, though, if I'm talking to somebody else or a, a demographic of people that are shorter, maybe uh, maybe early riders or, you know, maybe some female riders are a little bit shorter or want a little bit lower bike or an older rider wants to be able to get on this bike that doesn't want to have to tiptoe as much. But that's kind of, you, you can see how I'm shifting 
the area, the demographic of who's going to be purchasing. And I'm not saying that it's bad, but I think that it, those kind of changes do affect its soul. Now, also, if we talk about throttle response, if the throttle response is now doled out such that I can't rip it as hard, then that also can affect my perception on how it feels to ride the bike. I mean, those are just some of my examples for how that, even though I'm not saying what soul is on a bike, but how I perceive a change in that soul. So what do you think? I think, I mean, if we think about bikes that have soul, right? I mean, the quintessential historical bike with soul is a Harley, right? You talk. Most people would agree that a Harley has a certain. I think some people would argue that it has no soul, though. Sure, and, and that's why I say maybe soul is the wrong word, but character. Let's just say character for the sake of this argument, right? Let's switch the word soul with character. But people say, you know, Harley's got its own character. People, some people don't like that character. Some people say it's too loud or or whatever, right? Lumbering or or whatever you want to say. It may not be your cup of tea, but you can't argue that a Harley doesn't have character. And I would really find it hard to believe anybody getting on a Harley and just running it, I mean, let's just be as simple as around the parking lot of the dealership and not having a smile on their face due to that character of the exhaust and the engine feel and the vibration. That if you put that on paper, that stuff sucks. It's loud. It hurts your ears. You got to wear earplugs when you ride long distance, or at least you should. You know, the, the vibrations are bad for your hands and your feet and your butt, and it's not good for you. But at the same point, those kinds of things create a certain amount of mold that you have to mold yourself into to be used to that bike and really love that bike. And I argue that the best bikes, that are the most loved, are not the most refined bikes. That there's something you have to get used to. Oh, and this is so subjective. This is so. I see exactly I don't where know. you're going. I see exactly where you're you, going. You learn to love that bike by getting used to something small and somewhat insignificant. If a Harley rattled so much that you got, you know, numb fingers within ten miles, that would be a different conversation. There are some that right? will. Yes. And there are some that will, and some of the older ones do, and but some of the older, all the bikes of that generation did, right? We're not saying that a new Harley is doing that, and, and it keeps up with what's So it's an old acceptable. soul. Sure. But, you know, there, there's a line of acceptability that you can't cross, you know? You can't come out and say, you know, have a bike that rattles itself loose as a brand new bike that just came out and say that it's, you know, this is okay and acceptable because there is a realm of safety you got to have brakes that work, right? You got to have these things on as you increase and, and create newer bikes. The FJR or the FTR is the perfect example of this, that we are talking about a bike that's really new in the market. And what they did is they took some of that difficult to live with just the smallest little tweaks, right? Things that were just kind of annoying, yet most of the people reviewing it are saying, well, now it just doesn't have that feel of being that cool character filled bike now it's just another street bike on the road right now it feels like i'm riding you know any other bike it's too smooth right it's not too smooth smooth is good i'm not saying these are bad things but it's just so smooth and the throttle response is so easy i don't have to learn and get used to it and so i can just jump on and that's great day one jump on ride it but at the end of a long day once you figured out the bike you're like man i rode this for 120 miles and I've not grown any closer to the bike than when I did the first time I rode it, which is good, right? I still love the bike, but those bikes with a little bit of quirk 
a little bit of that annoyance that becomes love later, you learn after time, you're like, this is awesome. Because if my buddy jumps on this bike, he can't do what I can do because it's hard to control. And you got to get used to it. You got to learn it. And this is now my bike because I learned it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But it, I, I just, there's not one type of soul. And I think that to some extent, that soul is different based on the style of riding that you're going to be doing. What did I buy a bike? If you knew before you bought a Harley that they were loud. I think that's a bad example to some extent. I understand where you're coming from, and I don't mean to put that down. But what I'm saying is you knew about some of those things. You knew what kind of people potentially, if we want to um, try to to judge a specific group and say that's what they are. I mean, you knew what you were kind of getting into. And I think you kind of wanted that. Just a little bit, potentially, if you were getting on that bike. If you want something that you can go and uh, do shenanigan type stuff on, you're going to buy a certain kind of a bike. And it's going to have a certain kind of a soul as a result of the kind of riding that you're doing. I think that what we're talking about here is a shift in the type of soul that the FTR has. It's not that it doesn't have soul. I think that it has changed and that it may actually change the type. Uh, or the the kind of people that are going to start looking at that bike, for better or for worse, that that is taking place. I think that they're still trying to find out where they are and what it needs to be. I, I don't know what the sales numbers were. Do you know? I mean, was it having any difficulties whatsoever? I could tell you, that I know that the first, I believe it was first two years, they were selling. I mean, they were selling out. They were doing very well. I don't think it was as hot as it grew older. I think it was, you know, a drop. I mean, that, that's the case with any new, unique, right, bike where I think well, that's the conversation we have with the Pan America, right? That's going to come out. And because it's so different and so out of the norm for Harley, even if you're not a diehard, you want to be part of that new group and you want to buy one. But is it going to make it past year three, right? Or is it still going to be popular and is top of the relevant? list yeah. three years in, right? Is anybody going to care? Or is the, you know is a KTM or BMW 12 fit, right? Is something else going to just say, yeah, okay, well, that was fun. These are still better. <laughs> and so that was kind of with the FTR. I think that was the case, right? Oh, cool. An American V-twin street bike, sport bike per se, right? Naked sport bike of, of that type. You know, and I think then people got it and were like, well, okay. Or I can get, you know, a 900 triple from Yamaha that'll, run circles around this right well i think it, though it depends like how how close have you been following flat track racing how important is the indian name brand for you and what you're going to be doing with it do you want to configure it for it to kind of look like a little bit of an adventure bike even though that may not be its best niche market for it because uh, they kind of had all of these different options for it and i don't i don't know how things have sold hopefully we can have a conversation sometime with some of the dealerships not to not to tear it down because I still like the FTR in many ways, but to have a better understanding and you want to say something, go ahead. <laughs> Never used that before in real life. Um, that works. Sorry. And now I've derailed the whole conversation with that. You don't even but know what you were going to ask. The problem I have is I agree. If you want, if you're that, that buyer that wants an Indian because you love flat track and what Indians doing a flat track, then you're going to buy this bike irrelevant. And it's not like the sales have dropped to zero. Uh, you know, after year two, but you're now in that core market. You've lost your universal love, right? And that's all I'm trying to get across. It's not that that you've. Uh... <laughs> yeah, all right, Brad. Yes, you have something to say. <laughs> For those that don't know, we've got some weird tools right now. Okay, the the only thing that I'll say about that is 
it, I would say that the reason why they made any change wasn't because they're like, hey, let's just do these things. It's probably the reason why, the most common reasons why somebody didn't purchase it on the sales floor. They took it for a ride and they said, ah, it's just a little too, t- little too high, a little too high. Didn't really like it. Ah, I'm trying to get used to the throttle. It's just not quite right, right? To your point, the little weird nuances potentially for those people that affected them. So, uh, yeah, I just, I'm just, that's how, that's how all development is. It just depends on how, you know, stubborn somebody's going to be on being able to keep their bike the same way or if they're going to listen to their customers. And to some extent, I commend them for listening to their customers if that's what they were doing. I agree. Um, and we've had this conversation on the side as well as on the podcast and with many a person. But sometimes even the best riders don't know what they really want. I've seen lots of people buy a bike that isn't really what they're using it for, isn't what they want. And some of that's for the best, right? Again, we're talking uh, somebody that loves Indian for their flat track history and for what it is. Whether the FTR is the right bike for you or not, you want one because it is an FTR, right? And it is an Indian and it's their cool street bike and you just want it because it's not what you need. All you really needed was an SG250, you know, small Chinese bike to get from your house to Rite Aid down the road. You didn't need anything beyond, I mean, you could have had a scooter, a 50cc scooter for what you needed, but you want one, so you got one. And I'm okay with that. And I have no problems with that. I think it becomes more of that universal marketability. And as much as I think we need bikes with that, I think there is a world where you need a bike that anyone and their mom, I mean, we talked about the the Rebel 1100 last time, right? That it's so easy to ride with an automatic transmission and paddle, you know, and, and switch shift and all this stuff that if you barely know how to ride a motorcycle, you can jump on that and go. Uh, and I think you need that in the world. I think the motorcycle world needs very accessible bikes. But I question on bikes like an FTR or some of the, you know, the bikes that have more of a niche need. As an industry, I like that there's bikes that are quirky. I like that personally. And whether that soul agrees with me and that's what I want in the bike that I buy, I don't know, right? I'm probably not going to buy some of them, but I get it and I can appreciate it and I still love it. Yeah. I, what do you think, Sub-Zero? I just want to get on a bike and try the FTR out. You know, I know that a lot of what we're referencing was um, different journalists getting on a, a loaner bike from Indian. Uh, and even though they've said these are the changes, I think that things can continue to uh, evolve before they even hit the show floor. So uh, I'm interested to see how it really plays out and um, how Indian plans on marketing it, as well as the next motorcycle that they're going to be producing, because I know that it can't be far behind. I agree. And I do think that there, I mean, if you're watching the news, you've seen that Buell already has a response for the Pan America. Buell? Uh, what is so, That is a horrible, it's not even truly Buell. Come on, that's fake news. Fake news. That's not fake news. But what I'm expressing is you know Indians got something coming through the pipeline. That they will also have a response. Buell, the man, is no longer affiliated with Buell the motorcycles. That is fake news if you think otherwise. 100% truth. Look it up. Uh, it's just wild. But uh, I absolutely agree that there is something in the works, and I can't wait to see what it is. So and I'm talking about Indian, not Buell. I don't care about Buell right now. As we're, we're clearly trailing off and winding down, I'm also supposed to mention to you 
that uh, I got a response as well. So we, we, we heard from Ben. We talked about Ben. Got a response from the chicken hawk. And he took a, a short ride on the chicken wing. Decided he's keeping it. So he appreciates your concern before about getting something different. But uh, wanted me to make mention to you that uh, that he's glad you're his biggest fan. And he'll keep the old bike. Well, I'm glad he's my biggest fan, and uh, that he's. If I didn't mention that, he'd stop talking to us. So he would. I had to say something. No, probably not. I love you, Dad. He might be one of our biggest fans. I don't know. If 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 you think you're a bigger fan than the Chicken Hawk, send us an email. You can find our email at slackermoto.com. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know. Uh, let's start a huge war on Facebook. Everyone versus Chicken Hawk. Let's see how that plays out. He would have too much fun with it. He would. He would definitely enjoy that far too much. But uh, yeah, feel free to do uh, to check us out. All those locations. We appreciate you listening in. I appreciate everybody sticking with us. We've had kind of some changes in how we're releasing these. Uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've already figured it out. But we're kind of coming in every other week on Sundays. Uh, we're going to spend more time planning, prepping, and getting bigger information, bigger news. A lot more coming down the pipeline. So yeah, beyond just listening. Make sure you're keeping an eye on slackermoto.com or our Instagram uh, and Facebook pages for some of the news coming out as we go about a few new uh, few new ideas for this, including uh, some shop times. So if you want to learn how to wrench on your bike or just join us and wrench on your bike with us, keep an eye. We'll, uh, we'll appreciate that and uh, look forward to talking to you here in a couple weeks. Until next time, ride on! Mm-hmm.